we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 73 of Urgency of Change. Each weekly episode in this season of the Krishnamurti podcast is based on a major theme of the philosopher's talks, such as freedom, self-knowledge, beauty, intelligence and meditation. Extracts from our archives have been carefully selected to represent Krishnamurti's different approaches to each of these universal and timelessly relevant themes. This week's theme is awareness. Upcoming themes are life, truth and relationship. This podcast is brought to you by Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. Please see our official YouTube channel for hundreds of video and audio recordings of Krishnamurti's full talks and shorter extracts. We are a non-profit charity and rely on your support to continue to preserve and make Krishnamurti's work available. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. This week's podcast has six sections. The first extract is from Krishnamurti's second question and answer meeting at Brockwood Park in 1982, titled, What is it to be aware? What is it to be aware? To be aware, to be conscious to be cognizant, to be sensitive to everything, to nature, to people around you, sensitive in your own reactions. What does it mean to be aware? Is one aware of this marquee? Or you take it for granted? Have you counted the number of poles in this marquee? Have you looked at the trees? Not give it a name, but to be aware of it, to be sensitive to it. Or is one aware? of the person sitting next to you, aware of his physical movement, how he looks at people, aware of his clothes, his dress or whatever it is, or we are all so self-centred, we haven't time. We have no regard for another. We are so entangled with our own problems, with our own misery, that we don't look at anything else. So, to to be aware, does it not mean to, to see, feel, look, without any choice of what is happening. To be aware of what is happening in the world. Not necessarily from newspapers and magazines, but to be aware that there wars going on. People are killing each other. Thousands of years of shedding tears, and we don't seem to have learnt anything. To be aware of all this without any choice, 
when he's aware as a British what's happening here, one knows very well. But one isn't aware globally of you as a human being. So are we aware in such a sense, a global feeling of mankind? Not the Arab and the Israelis and the British and the French and American and so on. It becomes rather silly, all that kind of stuff. To be so aware of this human suffering, human sorrow, human pleasure. And if one is so aware, which is not concentration at all, aware, then the question says, is there an awareness of something very deep from which you act. That's what the questioners say, ask. Then there is attention, awareness and attention, not concentration. Concentration is merely focusing all your energy on a particular point. That we can do fairly easily. When you are interested in certain subjects, certain ideas, certain story, you are completely concentrated. Or may force yourself to concentrate, which is to resist other intrusions of other thought. But awareness is different, to be aware, to be sensitive to have this feeling of a movement which is a total, which is human. And attention is this quality in which there is no centre from which you are attending, which means no frontiers to attention, no borders. When there is that quality of attention, which require, which is part of love and compassion and intelligence, then from there one acts, if one or non-act. The second extract is from the first talk at Brockwood Park in 1970, titled Awareness of Your Conditioning. One has to be aware of one's conditioning. Then the problem arises, who is to be aware of the conditioning? You follow? There is only conditioning, not to be aware of the conditioning. I don't know if you see this. The moment I am aware of my conditioning, there is a duality, isn't there? I, who am aware of my particular conditioning. And hence, the one who is aware wants to change his conditioning, break it down, be free from it. Therefore, that creates conflict, right? And all division is bound to create conflict, right? So, look, hmm? the Catholic and the Protestant, you've got a very good example. Any division is bound to bring about <coughs> contradiction, conflict, and strife. If I say I'm, I will be aware of my conditioning, there is immediately a contradiction, a separation. So, to be aware of one's conditioning, you see, not I am going to be aware of my conditioning, 
is one thing, and the other is to be aware of it. Non-verbally, because the word is not the thing, and therefore the actual perception of it. I don't know. Can you do this? Not that this is a group therapy hmm? or analysis, for God's sake, none of all that stuff. But actually, is one are you is one aware of this conditioning to be aware that I am a Hindu? Awareness implies looking, being aware without any choice. Hmm? The moment you have a choice, it's a fragmentation. So can you observe yourself without any image of yourself? The image of yourself is the conditioning. Right? And to observe without any image, which means I don't know what I am. I'm going to find out. In that there is no assumption, conclusion. Therefore, the mind is free to observe, to learn. Right? But in learning, the moment there is an accumulation, right, you have stopped learning. I have suppose that I have I have observed myself. And I am. I see. I am this. It's a fact. And that, from that observation, I have learnt something about myself. Having learnt about myself, is the past. Right. With that past knowledge, I am going to observe. Right? Therefore, I cease to observe. It's only the past is observing. I don't. Right? So, can I, can the mind observe without accumulating? You understand the problem? Just look at the problem first, not what to do. When you understand the problem very clearly, action follows naturally. I observe myself, and through that observation I have learned something. After having learned, I further observe. Having learnt more, I go on to observe. Therefore, the observer becomes the analyzer, right? Right? Please do see this. Let's go along. Huh? The observer, the analyzer, is the result of many things he has learned about himself. And with the eyes of the past, as the analyzer, as the person who has accumulated knowledge, he examines, he looks, he learns. So the past is always trying to learn of what is going on in the present. Is this clear? 
So can there be a learning that is watching, observing, without any sense of accumulation? So that the mind is always fresh to learn. You So only such a mind is a free mind. So can the mind be free of thought in observing, in learning? Because you see, one wants to learn naturally, seeing the transient nature of our life, the exhaustion of pleasure revived by thought. given continuity to, ple- of ple- to pleasure by thought, seeing how everything is, comes to an end, one wants to find out if there is anything which is beyond, which is transcendental, which is something other than this daily routine, daily boredom, daily occupation, daily worry. After all, that is what religions promise. Seek God, love God, not learn if there is anything that is beyond thought, beyond the intellect, beyond the routine, one must be free of all belief, mustn't one? Huh? Which doesn't mean you become an atheist. The atheist and the believer are both the same. I want to find out seriously If there is something which is beyond what is, which means the mind must be totally free of any fear, otherwise fear will project something that will give it comfort. So I must learn all about fear. The mind must be inquiring into this whole terrible problem of fear. If if the mind wants to find out anything that is beyond the imagination, the, the myth, the symbol, the man has projected as God. Mind must be free of all that to find out. And it cannot possibly find out if there is any form of fear. And we are frightened human beings. So can the mind learn the whole nature of fear, not only the conscious fears, but the deep-rooted fears, of which most of us are unaware. So from that arises the question, how is the unconscious 
fears to be revealed, to be exposed. Are you following all this? Is it to be exposed through analysis, which means the analyzer, which means a fragment? I don't know who is going to analyze. Or through dreams discover all the fears. And that's a perilous road to find out through dreams what we are. Because dreams are merely the continuation of what we are during the daily life, waking hours. No? Is all this too much at one? One morning? Good. So how is the mind which has divided itself in itself as the conscious and the unconscious, which again is a division, therefore contradiction? How is the mind to be aware of this whole structure and nature of consciousness, the me, you follow? Without division. And there are hidden parts in the mind, deep down in the darkest corners of our mind, all kinds of things going on. Nothing uh, extraordinary, they are as silly as the conscious mind, the things of the conscious mind. So how all that to be exposed? Not through analysis, obviously, right? If you really see that, the the impossibility, the danger, the falseness of analysis. I hope there aren't any analysts here. <laughs> Bad luck if there are some. Sorry. <laughs> if you really see that, your mind then is free to observe without analysis. I don't know if you see that. Look, sir, let's be very simple about this. Analysis implies time, right? Analysis implies and the analyzer, who is different from the thing analyzed. And is the analyzer different from the thing he wants to analyze? Surely they are both the same. Only he, a fragment, has assumed the power, the knowledge, the, ass- the assumption that he is different and is going to analyze. And each analysis must be complete, right? Otherwise, you carry over the misunderstanding of your analysis to the next analysis. Time, division as the analyzer, each analysis must be complete, finished each time, which are all impossible. If you see the truth of that, the actual fact of it, then you are free of it, aren't you? Are you? If you are free of it, then you have quite a different mind that is going to observe. You see the 
there is the freedom from the falls, and analysis is the falls. Then my mind is free from the burden of that which has been false. Therefore it's free to look. Now can the mind look at the totality of the of consciousness without any division? As the observer watching the whole structure of consciousness. I don't know if you're following this. Is this all becoming rather complex? If it is complex, life is complex. And to, to learn about oneself, you have to face this extraordinarily complex entity called the me. You have to learn about it. And that's what we are doing. We are getting educated about ourselves. So, can the mind observe the totality of itself? The third extract is from Krishnamurti's eighth talk in Sanan, 1963, titled Choiceless Awareness. We must be totally aware of the of the whole of consciousness, not just a certain parts of consciousness. I mean by that word aware to observe. through space, to observe so that you have space in your mind, because contemplation implies observation through space. If there is no space between you and what you observe, you cannot observe. And most of us have no space. Because we have already come to the thing which we observe with a conclusion, with an idea, with an opinion, with a judgment, evaluation, either condemning, approving, or justifying, or identifying with the thing you observe. So there is no space at all to observe. Please, as I said, don't make this into a theory. There's something that you have to practice, which is a terrible thing to practice. It becomes a habit. And most of us live in dreadful habits, whether pleasant or unpleasant habit, which is destructive. You can you can follow the, what I am saying by observing yourself. You know, you know what is learning? Learning is not additive. You don't add. And then from what you have gathered, look experience and add some more. 
then you are not learning. You are merely gathering and adding to thing to that which you have already known. So there is never freedom of how to observe. You understand what I mean by awareness, this sense of watchfulness in which there is no choice but observing what is. You cannot observe what is if you have an idea or an opinion or, or say that's good or bad or verbalize what you see, what you observe. So to be aware of the movement of your own thought, of your own feeling, of your own activities, <coughs> both of the conscious as well as the unconscious, totally. That gives extraordinary activity to the brain. Because most of our brains are dull, half asleep, only parts of it are active. The specialized parts, the parts which we automatically function like a machine, through association, through memory. So our brains are asleep, dull, heavy, and not extraordinarily sensitive, active. And it cannot be active, sensitive, if you have no space, if you have no, if you look at things merely with what you already know. So meditation is to bring tremendous activity and sensitivity to the brain. That's part of it. You're following? To be aware so that you watch your bodily activity, your movements of your hands, the words you use, the thoughts, the emotions, all the reactions. To be so aware the unconscious, with all its traditions, accumulated knowledge, the immense sorrow it has accumulated, not only the personal, but the sorrow of man, To be aware of all that. And you can't be aware if you are merely judging, evaluating, saying this is pleasant, this is bad, this is no good, this I will keep. Then you, you are making the brain dull, insensitive. So from that comes attention. Attention which flows from awareness. When the, in that awareness there is no choice, there is no personal uh, choosing. No experiencing, which I'm going to present, but merely observing. And to observe, you must have great space. And a brain that is reacting, caught in ambition, greed, envy, self-fulfillment, sorrow, pain, despair, anguish, enjoy. Such a brain has no space. It's merely going round and round and round in its own 
that waters of reaction. So from this flows attention. To attend. You cannot attend if you are not sensitive. If the brain is not sensitive, highly sharp reason, reasonable logic, sane, healthy, has no neurotic background, is, has not explored every corner of itself, that there is no spot untrodden. Because if there is a dark hole of which one is afraid, which one has not explored, from there springs illusion, visions, like, like the Christian who has been so conditioned for centuries upon centuries, he sees Christ in his meditation, in his contemplation, he thinks he has achieved something extraordinary. which is merely the reaction of his own condition. As the Hindu, sitting on the banks of a river, go to ecstatic visions, because he has been conditioned for millennia. And what he sees is not religious experience at all. It's merely his own conditioning which is reacting, and so has no meaning at all. So through awareness, a choiceless observation in, in which there is space, every form of conditioning is dissolved. He is no longer a Hindu, a Buddhist, a Christian. All the ideas, beliefs, hopes, fears are completely gone. And from that comes attention. Not attention upon something. It is a state of attention. If you observe attention, if you, if you have gone through all this and have understood at least part of it, you will see that in attention there is no experience and therefore no experience. And this is tremendously important to understand for a man who is really seeking what is truth, what is religion, what is God, what is this thing beyond the thing put together by the brain. Because in attention there is no reaction. For merely attending, the brain, which has understood what it is to be aware, explored within itself all the recesses, all the unconscious motives, demands, fulfillment, surges, sorrows, pains, it has understood. And in attention there is emptiness. So not there is no experiencer experiencing something. Perhaps this is a little bit more complicated than you want. Perhaps this is a little bit more than 
to that which you are accustomed Because I am talking of meditation, some, which is something and a, beyond all words. The fourth extract is from the sixth talk in Madras, 1978, titled Can Thought Be Aware of Itself? Awareness implies to observe the world as it is, to know the world, the trees, the nature, the beauty and the ugliness, and also to be aware of your neighbour, what sari dress, to be aware, and also to be aware inwardly of what you are, actually, not what you think you are to be actually aware of what you are. And if you are aware, so aware, you will see that there are great many reactions, like and dislike, punishment and reward, in that awareness. So can you be aware without any choice, a choiceless awareness, to just to be aware? without choosing, without direction, without prejudice. So, to become totally aware of our consciousness, that means, please, it will become a little more difficult, which means can consciousness become aware of itself, not being asked to be aware, and it then becomes a pressure, but to naturally become aware choicelessly of your consciousness. Can consciousness become aware of itself? Which means also, can thought, your thinking, become aware of itself? That is, the brain is like a computer, it is registering, registering your experiences your hopes, your desires, your ambitions. It's a, it's a registering every impression. And that from that impression, from that registration, thought arises. That's the original man, or not original man, the anthropoid ape, for example, the nearest to man. It registers, it remembers. Therefore it begins to think. From registration thought arises. Now we are asking, can you, can there be an awareness of the thought arising, as you can be aware of your anger arising? Right? You can be aware of that, can't you? No? Are you all asleep? Or am I putting so much in this talk that you have So it doesn't matter. So, as one can be aware of anger arising, so can you be aware of thought beginning, which means to be aware of the thing flowering, growing. In the same way, can you, can, is there an awareness of your consciousness, the totality of it? This is part of meditation, this is the essence of meditation, to be aware without any choice of 
the world outside you and the immense complex world inside you. So when you come to that point you will see that the world is not separate from you. The world is you. So by so becoming consciousness, becoming aware of itself, then the the parts that make up a consciousness disappear consciousness then becomes a quite a different thing it is a consciousness of the whole not of the part the fifth extract is from krishnamurti's seventh talk in sanan 1971 titled Awareness of unawareness. Now, am I, during the day, please listen to me, am I, are you, aware, during the day, every movement of thought? You're not, are you? Be honest, be simple. You're not. We are aware in patches. I'm aware for two minutes and then a great blank, and again a few minutes later or half an hour later, I've said, By Joe, I forgot myself, pick up again. There are gaps in our awareness. We are never aware continuously. And we think we ought to be aware continuously, all the time. Now, first of all, there are great spaces between awareness, Hmm? isn't there? Awareness, then unawareness, then awareness and so on during the day. Which is important. Please, which is important. The awareness for a few minutes and the non awareness and awareness and the continuity of awareness, which is important. To be continuously aware. Or be aware for short periods, and what to do with the long periods of when you are not aware? Amongst those three, what is important? (coughs) What do you think is important? I know for me what is important. I'm not bothered about being aware for a short period or wanting to have awareness continuously. I'm only concerned when I'm not aware. You understand? That's my question. You understand my... When I'm inattentive... I said, now, I'm very interested, not when I'm aware, but why am I inattentive? And what am I to do about that inattention, unawareness? That's my problem. Not to have constant awareness. That's you know, you'll go cook unless you are really gone into this very, very, very deeply. So my concern is, why am I inattentive? And what happens in that period of inattention? That's my... you understand? I know what happens when I'm aware. When I'm aware, you know, nothing happens. Because I'm alive, I'm moving, living, vital. 
in that nothing can happen, because there is no choice for something to happen. Now when I am inattentive, not aware, then things happen. Then I say things which are not true. Then I am nervous, then I am, you know, anxious, caught. I fall back into my despair. So that is my, say, what, why does this happen? Right? You are getting my... Is that what you are doing? Or are you concerned with being totally aware all the time? And trying, practicing to be aware all the time? I don't know. It's up to you. Now, I see I am not aware. And that I'm going to watch what happens in that state when I'm not aware. Now, to be aware that I am not aware is awareness. No, no, don't laugh, please, do listen to this. It's not a matter of laughter. To know, I know when I'm aware. When there is an awareness, it is something entirely different. And I know when I'm not aware. I get nervous, I get I twitch my hands and you scratch throw, you know, do all kinds of stupid things. If when there is an attention in that unawareness, the whole thing is over. You're following what I'm talking? At that moment of unawareness, I am aware that I am not aware, it's finished. You got it? Because I don't then have to struggle to say, well, I must be aware all the time, please tell me the method to be aware, please practice, you know, tighten, tighten, become more and more stupid. But when I... When there is no awareness, and I know I am not aware, then I, you see the whole movement changes. Now, what happens during, the, during sleep? Is there an awareness when you are asleep? As you are aware during the daytime, if you are aware during the daytime in patches, then that, that continues while you are asleep, right? Obviously. But when you are aware, and also aware that you are inattentive, a totally different movement takes place. Then when you sleep, you are, there is an awareness of complete quietness. The mind is aware of itself. I won't go into all this because you, it is not a mystery. It is not something that is extraordinary, go over, put incense. See, the mind, when it is aware during the day, deeply, that awareness in depth brings about a quality of mind during sleep and it's absolutely quiet, because <coughs> during the day you have observed, you have been aware, either in patches or aware of your inattention. Then as you go through the day and when you sleep, the activity of the brain has established order during the day. And, it is, and brain demands order, whether that order is in some neurotic belief or in nationalism or in this or that, in that it finds order, which inevitably brings about disorder. But when you are aware during the day, 
and aware of your unawareness, then at the end of the day there is an order. Then the brain does not have to struggle during the night to bring about order. Therefore the brain becomes rested, is quiet, and therefore the brain then the next morning is extraordinarily alive, not a dead, corrupt, drugged thing. The final extract this week is from the fourth talk in Berkeley, 1969, titled Awareness in Meditation. So, if you have done all this, that is, understood yourself deeply, learnt about yourself completely through choiceless awareness, and have laid the foundation of righteousness, which is order, therefore free and not accepting any authority whatsoever, so-called spiritual authority. Obviously one must accept certain laws of society. Then you can find out what is meditation? Because in meditation there is great beauty. It's an extraordinary thing if you know what meditation is, not how to meditate. The how implies the method. Therefore, never ask how. And there are people too willing to offer a method. But meditation is the awareness of the sphere, of the implications and the structure and the nature of pleasure, the understanding of oneself, and therefore laying the foundation of order which is virtue, in which there is that quality of discipline which is not suppression or control or imitation. Such a mind, then, is in a state of meditation, which is, to meditate implies to see very clearly. And it is not possible to see clearly or be totally involved in that which is seen when there is space between the observer and the thing observed. That is, when you see a flower, the sunset, the beauty of a face, or the lovely sky of an evening, the bird on the wing, when you see it, there is space not only physically but psychologically between you and that between you and the flower, between you and the cloud with, which is full of light and glory, there is that space. Psychologically, when there is that space, there is not only conflict but also that space is made by thought, the, which is the observer. You know, have you ever looked at a flower without space, 
have you ever observed something very beautiful without that space between the observer and the thing observed, between you and the flower? We look at the flower with the screen of words, with the screen of thought, of like or dislike, wishing that flower was in your particular house, or this or that, saying, what a beautiful thing that is. So, in that observation, when you look, there is the division created by the word, by your feeling of like or of pleasure. And so, this division between you and the flowers inwardly, in that division there is no perception, acute perception. And when, you're, when there is no space, then you see the flower as you have never seen before. That is, when there is no thought, when there is no botanical information about that flower, when there is no like or dislike, but only complete attention, then you will see that the space disappears, therefore you are in complete relationship with that, world, with that flower with that bird on the wing, with that cloud, with the, with, that, with the face of your wife or your husband or the neighbour. And when there is such quality of mind, in which the space between the observer and the thing observed disappears and therefore the thing is seen very clearly, most passionately and intensely, then there is that quality of love And with that love there is beauty. You know, when you love something greatly, not through the eyes of pleasure or pain, when you actually love, space disappears, both physically and psychologically. There is no me, and you. And when you come so far in this meditation, then you will find that quality of silence which is not the result of a mind thought, which is thought-seeking silence. You know, there are two different things on there. Um, thought can make itself quiet. I don't know if you have ever tried it, but for most of us, to silence thought, for thought to become quiet, is unknown. Therefore, we struggle against it, because we see very well that unless thought is quiet, there is no peace in the world or peace inwardly. There is no bliss. So we try, 
in various ways, through drugs, through tranquilizers, through mm, repetition of words, through thousand ways, to quieten the mind. But the thought, thought that may, makes the mind quiet, silent, such silence is entirely different. It is not comparable with the silence which freedom brings, freedom from all the things that we have talked about. It is only then, in that silence, which is of a quite a different quality than the silence brought about by thought. It's only in that silence there is quite a different dimension, a quite a different state, which you have to find out for yourself. Nobody can open the door for you. Nobody and no word, no description can measure that which is immeasurable. And so, unless one actually takes this long journey which is not long at all, which is immediate, Unless you do it, life has very little meaning. And when you do it, you find out for yourself what is sacred.